realize that there are several kinds of people here in the room with us this morning. And so before we get started, I just want to acknowledge some of those stories here with us. First, there are those who call Zion home. And to you, our church family, I want to tell you that my heart is so full getting to celebrate with you all today. Second are those who hang out with us every so often. And to you, I want to say that I know how crazy life can get. And the fact that you're here means the world to us. So thank you so much for coming. There are those of you who are also visiting us for the first time. And to you, I want to extend our deepest and most sincere welcome. And my hope for you today is that you feel seen and cared for by our community. And lastly, to those who have been drugged here by a family member or friend, I'm so glad that you're here also. And I promise my talk will be short today, so it won't be too much longer. So hang in there with us. Wherever you find yourself at today, you find yourself in a celebration that has been going on for millennia. At the end of every year, everything begins to shift towards Christmas. And every year, we begin to settle into our routines and traditions. Every year, houses are adorned with lights, fake trees are surrounded by presents, recipes are being prepared, Amazon carts are filling up, Department stores start playing those familiar songs. Some, I want to add, since Thanksgiving, which is the cardinal sin. You do not start playing Christmas music all the way back then. Garages are filling up with empty Amazon boxes. Often, in the background of all the chaos of Christmas, there's a story, a familiar story, the story that all of this is centered around and built upon. It is the story of the birth of of Jesus. Now, what comes to your mind when you think about this story? Maybe it's a familiar song, such as Silent Night or Away in a Manger. Maybe it's that nativity set that a family member would set out as a part of Christmas decor. Maybe it's somebody like me retelling the story at a gathering like this. Whatever it is, chances are you have a background with this story. And chances are, if you were really honest and not in the spirit of Christmas, you're kind of bored of the story, a little bit. Every year you know what to expect. Nobody up here is coming up not knowing what I'm gonna talk about today. We all come here in agreement that we're talking about the birth of Jesus. Now, you may not say it out loud that you're bored with the story, but you kind of feel it on the inside. You may have come here saying, I know exactly what this dude's gonna talk about, I know exactly where it's going, I know exactly where it's leading. And I understand that. But what I want to challenge you with today is maybe, maybe there's something more to this story. Now, as you think about this story, there might be an image that comes to mind. It might look something like this. This is a work called The Nativity by an artist named Greg Olson. It's elegant. It's quaint. It's peaceful. It's nice. You know, you just look at it and it's like, wow, look at that. Isn't that so sweet? Now, this story may come into your mind, and this might be the image that comes into your mind. This might be the scene in your mind. And if you're honest, this scene feels a bit idealized. It feels a bit removed from reality. If we look at this photo, we see first, nobody in this photo has just experienced birth. If you've been and or had kids, none of these people just had that experience, right? 
all of them look pristine and happy, right? It looks, it looks like an untouched moment, especially Mary. She looks like she just walked the Bethlehem beauty pageant and not just finished delivery and birth, right? So that's unfair to our moms in the room if you think that's the expectation that you have to look like post-birth. So first there's that. Second, anyone who's been around animals will tell you being in that, that, that place there with the animals, you'd be holding your breath from the stench, right? It looks perfectly manicured. The hay looks golden and bright. It would reek like animals. Third, these shepherds look nothing like blue-collar workers who've just got off their shift tending sheep in the wilderness. They just finished walking for, for a Gucci fashion show or something. And then you have these magi who, uh, who don't look anything like priests from Persia, and after concluding a two-year, 900-mile journey culminating in this moment, which if you know your Bible's history, these dudes weren't there at the birth of Jesus. They showed up like two years later when Jesus was a rambunctious toddler. So when we look at this photo, it's nice, it's sweet, but it's disconnected from reality. Now, in no way, shape, or form is this a dig at the artist. Lord knows I can draw stick figures and they're shaky at best. But what this, does, this image does point to is I think the problem behind the story. We've domesticated it. We've made it neat and nice and tidy. And we've domesticated and sanitized the story of Jesus coming into the, earth, coming into the world. Here's a better image of what I think that scene looked like. This is the Nativity by Jerry Melchers. Here, we see an exhausted Mary, drooping sleepily on her husband. We see Joseph have the look that every new father does, fear worry. As his wife is getting the much-needed rest, he's contemplating, what do I do now? We see the realism of a water basin and a cloth next to them and a lantern, all things that would have absolutely been necessary during birth. This is a much better image of what that moment may have been like. My hunch is that this story has lost its sense of wonder because we've sterilized it. We've made it neat and tidy for Christmas. You see, if you were to hear this story at its first telling, your response would not to be to create plastic figurines to commemorate it. At the first hearing of this story, you would have been scandalized by it. You see, the story does not read like a fairy tale. It reads like a news story. In case you forgot, this story includes a cast of a pregnant teenage mother a peasant young father, socially rejected blue-collar workers, and pagan priests. It sounds like the start of a really bad joke. Now, the context of the story all finds itself within a census in which is being done to bring more tax money into an oppressive empire. And do not forget the most scandalous claim of all, that all of these who witnessed it said that the child that was born on this day was no ordinary child, but was God come to dwell with us. Now, the details of the story are, are not to be so easily dismissed because in its time, it was cause for great controversy. And the danger of the story of Christmas is that for us, it would become business as usual. At the heart of this story is the staggering claim that God, who created all things himself, became vulnerable, that he would entrust himself to his own creation, 
helpless and in need. J.I. Packer says this, the Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. And the more that you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as the truth of the incarnation. Now, I realize that in this room there might be a variety of responses to this claim that God has come to dwell with his people in the person of Jesus. But before you dismiss it, I want you to consider that right now you are at a Christmas service, halfway across the world from where this took place 2,000 years later. At the very least, this has some staying power, and at the very least, it might be worth your consideration. Fleming Rutledge says this, the entire thrust of this season at the end of the church year is, to, is designed to bring us face to face with reality. Reality about sin and death. Reality about the human race. Reality about God. Something ultimate has entered our world. Something or someone that calls us to attention, calls us out of our daily preoccupations and our routine points of view. Here is the invitation for us this morning. Would you be open to the possibility that maybe you don't know this story as well as you think you might? That maybe this story is not meant to be sweet platitudes of the holiday season, but a scandalous story about a God consumed by love for humanity, that he himself would become human to set the world right again. That maybe the story is not for polished people and silent nights, but ordinary people living in forgotten places, having a radical encounter with the living God. That maybe the story is not safely domesticated behind the veneer of a holiday story, but it is unleashed into the unremarkable and mundane corners of everyday life. That maybe this story is not a neatly packaged idea meant to be believed but an unraveling narrative you find yourself living into. Maybe this story is not merely business as usual, but an invitation be, to be disrupted by wonder. Now, here's what I want to do with the rest of our time remaining. I want to take a look at the announcements the angel give to the shepherds about the truth of Christmas. And here they lay out three key ideas. They say, do not be afraid. I bring you good, noise, good news that will cause great joy for all people. Good news, great joy, all people. First, good news. Now, we live in the age of the 24-7 news cycle, and it seems we are always being surrounded by bad news. Every year, the New York Times publishes uh, their top photos of the year, and this year, their article was titled, entitled, a weary world. And here are some of those photos. First, another war breaks out. Thousands upon thousands find themselves grieving. Another financial crisis, many under the weight of despair and poverty. Another natural disaster, a city scrambles to pick up the pieces of its former life. Another school shooting, a community weeps at the senseless violence and evil. 
another election cycle, a country prepares for an increase in division and hostility. Another, 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 another. It seems like bad news never ends. And I think the title of the article fits rather perfectly. We are weary. We're weary of all the bad news. And each of us aches for good news. We ache for it on a personal level, and we ache for it on a cultural level. And all of this ache for good news often leads people to a place like you're at today, a gathering such as this. And they come hopeful and expectant for good news, and if we're completely honest, they hear mediocre news at best. In a lot of churches and gatherings just like this one, someone like me will come up and give what they think is the good news. And here's the message they present, essentially. Do better. Do better. Be a good person, believe the right things, and you will get to the good place. If you are not and you don't, you go to the bad place. Pretty simple. Now, if this is good news, if this is the good news, this news isn't good at all. Why? Because all of us in this room are not really good at being good. Right? We can be nice. We can be pleasant. But the stuff in our hearts, the stuff we say driving behind somebody we think is a bad driver, the stuff we say mumbling behind the people who are taking forever in front of us at the checkout line, that kind of stuff we are helpless against. The real issues of the human heart we are helpless against. Now, if the message of Christmas is simply that God has come into the world to show me that the world is broken and to teach me to be a better person, that doesn't sound like good news. That sounds exhausting to try and have to attain being a better person. I mean, it's nice to know that there's a God and that he cares, but if the remedy for the brokenness of our world is merely the call to do better, that's not good news. There is not enough self-help books, meditation apps, and mindfulness retreats that I can go on that's going to deal with the brokenness in me, much less the world. And so this begs the question, if that's not the good news, what is? And I want to call your minds to the announcement the angels bring to the shepherds. Here's what they say. They say, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Here the angels point to three key truths about the message of Jesus and their declaration. Each of these points to a reality about who Jesus is and what he's come to do. First, they call him Savior. Another word for Savior is the word rescuer. It's used all throughout the Old Testament when God shows up and delivers his people. He is the Savior. But this begs the question, what have we been rescued or saved from? Scholar Justo Gonzalez says this, salvation means healing, liberation, freedom from the bondage of sin, promise of eternal life, and the several nuances of each of these themes. Thus, to say that Jesus is Savior means that he frees the people from all evil, including sin, eternal death, disease, oppression, and exploitation. Jesus comes to rescue us from brokenness. He has come to restore wholeness again. He has come to deal with what has been destroying God's good world and the people he loves. He is Savior, 
rescuer. We also hear that he is Messiah. Now, you know me. I love to trace these themes throughout the scriptures. I won't do that to you today. It's Christmas Eve, but I'll give you the quick highlights. Throughout all the biblical narrative, we are looking for the one they call Messiah. It's Mashiach in Hebrew. And it literally means anointed one. Um, the Greek word for this is Christos, where we get Christ. So Jesus Christ, not his last name, a title, meaning anointed one. And so all throughout the biblical story, they are looking for this anointed one who's going to bring what they call the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom is simply the sphere of God's range of effective will. It is the place in which everything happens that meets a God's, God's approval and delight, and, ev- and everything is as God wants it to be. This was Jesus' fundamental message. I have come to bring about the kingdom, God's rule and reign. This is why Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is a prayer that God's rule and reign would permeate the earth and all things would be restored to wholeness again. And so Jesus, according to this announcement, is the Mashiach, is the anointed one, is the Messiah, is the Christ, is the one the world has been waiting for. John Ortberg says this, the kingdom of God has now, through Jesus, become available for ordinary human beings to live in. God is present here and now. God is acting. You can revise your plans for living around this cosmic opportunity to daily experience God's favor and power. He invites you as a gracious gift to become an agent of the kingdom to experience God's reign in your own life, body, and will, and then to become a conduit of God's power, joy, and love to bruised and bleeding humanity all around you. So Jesus is Savior. He is Messiah. And lastly, he is Lord. The word uh, Lord in Hebrew is the word Adonai, and it is a title in which they gave to God. The claim here is very simply that God has come to dwell with humanity. One of the names given to Jesus that you hear often around this time is the name Emmanuel. It means God with us. Brennan Manning says it this way. God entered into our world not with the crushing impact of unbearable glory, but in the way of weakness, vulnerability, and need. On an ordinary night, In an obscure cave, the infant Jesus was a humble, naked, helpless God who allowed us to get close to him. The fundamental fundamental message of these angels is that God has come to dwell with us. The creator has become human. Paul, reflecting on this reality in his letter to the church in Philippi, says this, who being in the nature of God, Jesus, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. God cares enough not only to save, but also to suffer right alongside us. 
Jesus knows everything about what it means to be human. J.B. Phillips says this, We are, in fact, celebrating in the awe-inspiring humility of God, and no amount of familiarity with the trappings of Christmas should ever blind us to its quiet but explosive significance for Christians. For Christians. Four Christians believe that so great is God's love and concern for humanity that he himself became a man. This is the scandal of the incarnation. That not only would God care to do something about our situation, but he would come to suffer alongside with us. It's one thing for God to care. It's another that he would come and subject himself to the very pain that we experience. To die for us and to give us the life, to give us his life to live into. And brothers and sisters, this is the good news. That Jesus is, save, is Messiah, Savior, and Lord. But the announcement doesn't end there. The, the angels also say that this announcement brings about great joy. The text tells us that suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. This moment is so marked by joy that heaven breaks out in a song at what has just taken place. This joy was so uncontainable, uncontainable that bursting forth in song was the only appropriate response. My question for you this morning is when was the last time you were filled with joy? What I do not mean is that you laughed at something you thought was funny or you had an appropriately good of time, but you were so overwhelmed with joy, it was spilling out of the banks of your life. When was the last time you had that kind of joy? Think about it for a moment. For some of you, that moment is easily accessible because it happened recently. It was in seeing the face of a friend or a family member. It's been a while since you've seen it was in a moment of celebration. For others of you, it took some time, but there was a memory that you were able to access that often brings you joy, like your wedding day or the birth of your kiddos. And still for others, you're scrambling for a moment. It's hard to find one because it's been a while. It's my experience that many people are joy deficient. They're longing and looking for joy. And for a lot of us, joy escapes us not because it's not available, but because of how we respond to it. For, there's, a, there's a ton of ways in which we miss joy. First of all, we miss joy because we're distracted. We are always looking forward to the next thing. There are all sorts of moments that are marked by joy, but we miss them because we're always looking to what's ahead and not being fully present to the now. And so... Um, Joy often escapes us because our eyes are continually looking forward. Second, many of us miss joy because if we were honest, brutally honest, we're afraid. Some of us are joy deficient because, frankly, our hearts are so walled off, there's no way that joy can break through the cracks. Because at one time, you were joyful. You were hoping for something, waiting for something, and it never came. Your joy was crushed. So, in a promise to never be hurt again, you promised to protect yourself from ever getting your hopes let down again. And so you walled yourself off. 
and it's safe. You're, all, you're always waiting for the ball to drop, and when you're right, you're never surprised. But in that wall that's protecting you from disappointment is also keeping joy out of your life. And they're safe, cold, and lonely. You're longing for joy. The behind all your walls of cynicism and waiting for inevitable disappointment, joy has been lost. Lastly, we miss joy because we're always waiting for it to happen to us. Almost like winning the lottery or getting struck by lightning. You're just hoping that one day, some way, somehow, boom, joy. I have it now, finally. It's this, it's this thing I've always been waiting for. But to quote Henry Nouwen, joy does not happen to us. We choose joy and keep choosing it every day. But how do we choose joy when life feels anything but joyful? I realize that Christmas time is awesome for many. But for some, it's really hard. That you are weary from this year. And you carry a lot of pain in with you. So Andrew, I would love to be marked by joy, but things are just way too hard right now. The angels declare to the shepherds, joy, even though hard things are still on the way. Soon the city of Bethlehem will be in mourning as a madman Herod kills hundreds of children looking to destroy Jesus. The Roman Empire will continue to be marked by oppression and, and harsh rule, and thousands upon thousands would suffer under its hand. It seems that this message of great joy comes in the midst of great darkness. The arrival of Jesus still means the presence of pain. So why would we have joy? Well, we live in what the scholars call the now and the not yet. Yes, Jesus has come and begun his kingdom, but the kingdom is not fully here yet. So we live in the tension of the coming kingdom. Fleming Rutledge says this way better than I ever could, so I'll let her do it. She says this, in a very real sense, the Christian community lives in Advent all of the time. It can well be called the time between because the people of God live in the time between the first coming of Christ incognito in the stable in Bethlehem and his second coming in glory to judge the living and the dead. In the time between, our lives are hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, we will also appear with him in glory. Advent contains within itself the crucial balance of the now and the not yet our faith requires. The disappointment, brokenness, suffering, and pain that characterize life in the present world is held in dynamic tension with the promise of future glory that is yet to come. In that Advent tension, the church lives its life. So how do I have joy? The incarnation is a reminder for you that what you're longing for is still on the way. It was a taste of what is to come when God rules and reigns fully. And so you can have joy despite your circumstances because your hope is rooted in a reality that is on the way and we live in that tension. And we live in it defiantly that when the world is weary and broken and apathetic, the church of Jesus Christ proclaims the message into the world that hope is here and on the way. And our joy is defiant. To quote the great theologian Bono, he says, joy is the ultimate act of defiance. So here's my invitation for you. What would it be like for you to reclaim childlike joy? 
My kids teach a master class in joy. I remember being a kid on a night like tonight, Christmas Eve. Do you remember? You had to physically restrain yourself to your bed, right? There was so much anticipation and excitement. Christmas is here, you know? And you would be up earlier than you've ever been up in your life, shaking mom and dad, it's Christmas, it's Christmas, it's Christmas. You were so amped, granted, likely for the presence and not the incarnation has come, but you were stoked out of your mind. And my kids teach me a master class in joy. It's like there's popsicles in the freezer. They're like, oh, yeah, you know? They're amped about the little things in life. It's because this, they haven't lost their access to joy. We are so marred by cynicism and being uh, prepared for any disappointment, we've lost the art of entering into joy. What would it look like for you in this season to reclaim childlike joy? Not to add qualifiers or little things at the end of things just to prepare yourself for disappointment, but to be in a moment fully present, overwhelmed by joy. It would look like this moment. Where though there was still pain and darkness and brokenness, you were holding on to something greater than yourself, joy that is everlasting. So what would it look like for you to reclaim joy? Lastly, all people. Notice what the angels say. They said this, and this will be the sign to you. You figure a sign from God will be lightning from heaven, fire, something cool. Instead, you're going to find a baby Wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Kind of a letdown if we're honest, right? If God was going to give you a sign, he's like, go to the hospital. Go to the newborn area. There it is. You're like, well, it's kind of lame. Like, I was hoping for something cooler, more magnificent than that. Now, to some, this story may still sound too good to be true. It may sound like a fairy tale. But this declaration is for all people. And here is how we know. It is both extremely ordinary and incredibly personal. Extremely ordinary and incredibly personal. It's extremely ordinary. First, Jesus was born into obscurity, and it was surprisingly ordinary. I mean, he's just swaddled up like a baby would be. And I know all the pictures show, like, this radiant light on Jesus. Nowhere is that in the text. These shepherds just walked up, and is this the baby? Yep. He's cute. You know, it's just, it's just a baby, you know. It's just a regular baby chilling. You know, he's in a manger where you feed that. That's cool. Yeah, all right. Thanks for letting us come by. You know, it's, it's, it was a normal moment that nobody in the universe knew he was born except for shepherds and later, two years later, some pagan priests coming from Persia. That's it. There was no huff and puff, no parade, no celebration. They didn't tote him through the streets. He was born in the margins of society that only a few eyes got to behold. In the middle of nowhere, to Jewish immigrants, to peasant Jewish immigrants, the light of the world had come. J.B. Phillips says this, amid the sparkle and the color and the music of this day's celebrations, we do well to remember that God's insertion of himself into human history was achieved with an almost frightening quietness and humility. There was no advertisement, no publicity, no special privilege. In fact, the entry of God into his own world was almost heartbreakingly, heartbrokenly humble. In the shadows of an empire, the light of the world is born. Into the dirt and hay of poverty, the king of creation is born. 
and to the burden and mundaneness of his senses. The glory of God has come. God steps into our story, and here's the crazy thing. Almost nobody notices. It's extremely ordinary. But it's also incredibly personal. Think about who this message comes to. To shepherds. Now, you may have an image in your mind of like a well-manicured shepherd who's like holding the sheep on his shoulder, and he's like, I don't know, he looks handsome, kind of like may have been a model early on in his life or something like that. Shepherds were the quintessential blue-collar worker. And these were night shepherds. These weren't even the day shift shepherds. These were the night shift shepherds who were surviving off of monster energy drinks and stuff, you know? They got a little twitch in their eye. They got a little hip to their step, you know what I'm saying? Now, shepherds were so outcasted from society, they weren't allowed in the temple, and people would treat them as godless because of how estranged, and they would just live out in the wilderness for weeks at a time. So do not think prim and proper like Wall Street investor. Think like kind of crazy homeless dude out on the side. That's kind of more of what the, the shepherds were like. And it's to them that the message comes. God entrusts his message to nobodies in the middle of nowhere. This wasn't proclaimed in the city of Jerusalem. There wasn't a beacon in the sky for all the world to see. In the middle of absolutely nowhere, shepherds are tending their flock, and suddenly this breaks out. If you didn't think for a moment they began to doubt their own sanity, assuredly they did. Dude, what was in those tacos, right? What is happening to us out here in the middle of nowhere? God brings his message to the outcasts. He entrusts the message of the coming king to ordinary people like you and me. Here lies an invitation for us to see that the kind of people God uses are average, ordinary everyday people. And the message comes to them. So yes, this, this message has cosmic implications, but it comes to individuals in a beautiful way. And so there's one final invitation for us. It's to come and see. Notice the text. This is the, this is the shepherd's response. They say this, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Here's what I want to come down to, brothers and sisters, and it's this. The story of Christmas is so ordinary, you could miss it. And yet, it's so personal, you can't ignore it. So the invitation for you today is to come and to see. Now, today might feel like business as usual. You might be thinking, he went a little longer than he promised that he was going to go, but I'll allow it, right? You think about lunch plans, the present you still haven't bought that you must go get now. It's not my fault. It's your fault you're running this late, so don't get mad at me. But here and now is a moment where God might be breaking into your story through something that seems rather ordinary. What would come packaged as just a regular church service for you can become a moment where you reclaim wonder in your life. That maybe through a message you thought you knew, the Lord has just brought insight and revelation to things you never thought of before. And suddenly your heart is stirring again for a message you thought you knew. And God might be breaking into an average, ordinary moment. I love this quote for, from Paula de Arce. She says this, God comes to you 
disguised as your life? What might be the unremarkably ordinary way God is breaking into your story today? Would you join me in standing? As a community, just here for a few moments, we're going to enter into a time of response. And this is what this means. That as a people, we don't want to be people who just hear the word and do nothing, but we want to be like the shepherds who say, let's go and see what this is all about. And my hunch is that some of you today have been encountering Jesus new and afresh. I feel like there's a few invitations for us today. I feel like there might be some people here in the room who, for them, there's been something healing about being here today. You can't quite put your finger on it. There's nothing special necessarily about the coffee or the gathering, but there's just something healing about being in the room today. That maybe uh, you have a background in church or maybe you don't have a background in church, but there's just there's something healing happening in the room today for you. That relief or joy, there's a lightness that's been brought to your life today. It's just God's spirit blessing you and doing something new in you. If that's you, I want to invite you to respond, and I'll give instructions how. My hunch is that there's also some of you who you're being compelled by Jesus. Now, you might think, ah, oh, it's the lights. He's a pretty convincing talker. You're, you're already starting to rationalize it to yourself, over-pragmatize what's happening here. But there's something in you that's stirring that's causing you to really consider the life of Jesus, to really consider the moment you find yourself in and to respond to it, to say, I'm not exactly sure what all the implications are, but I know that I should follow this that I'm feeling now. I'm going to invite you to respond. And the last invitation is that when I was talking about having your joy crushed, that feels like you. It's been a long time since you've been joyous like a kid. Where like you didn't qualify anything or make expect uh, explanations for anything. You just were able to be fully present in something and enjoy it. It's been a long time since that's been you. I believe a gift for you this Christmas is for you to reclaim joy. And for that joy to find you again. And if that's you, I'm going to invite you to respond. So here's how we're going to do this. Our worship team is going to play. And as they do, if any of this is resonating with you, I want to invite you just to come forward. And there's nothing special about up here. There's no magic dust or anything of like that. It's just a way of you embodying a response to God saying, God, I hear you and I want more. And all I'm going to ask you is just to come forward and place out your hands like this. And someone's going to come alongside you. And they're not going to get your information, ask for your email, see if you want to get updates. They're just going to pray for you. They're just going to bless you and bless the work that God is doing in your life. No expectations, no requirements. You could just come and receive. And that's what we want to do here and now. So let's enter into a time of response. If any of that resonates with you, will you just come forward, place your hands out, and people are going to come and pray for you.